we are. And this morning, the title of our lesson is His Special People. Who is that? Us. Amen. We are His special people. What a privilege. What a joy it is to be a child of God. Our family theme today is pursuing holiness. Our objective is to worship and serve God and also to live honorably among an unbelieving world. Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2 of the first 17 verses. We've got three key truths this morning. The first one is that we are to grow spiritually through a healthy diet of God's Word. Second of all, uh, we are to, uh, we are God's holy people who worship and serve Him. And that's the key. We worship and serve Him. And the third key truth involves how we live in this world. We're to conduct ourselves honorably among unbelievers. In our Bible basis this morning, we are encouraged uh, to memorize 1 Peter 1.18, where Peter quotes from the Old Testament because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. By the way, how holy is God? Amen. Holy, holy, holy. We can't forget that. We're to be holy as well. So where does this uh, t- today's lesson fit in the overall scope of the Scriptures? Uh, many believe Peter wrote this around A.D. 62 to A.D. 63, and a lot of Christians were scattered because of persecution uh, throughout the area of Asia Minor. And, of course, Peter is writing them to encourage them to persevere even in difficult times. Under our get started, let's talk about some things today. We're going to uh, be talking about being his spe- special people, of course. But what what is it that our bodies need uh, if we're going to grow uh, strong and healthy, what, are, what do we need? What do, do what? You said good. Okay. And water. Okay. I, I heard you said, but make sure you understood the good food. Uh, the problem is, what I think good food, my doctor don't think is right. But we we got to have food and water. We can't live without. We can't grow without it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, certainly involved. Of course, you know, a lot of things involved there. Uh, we, we, uh, and I think Dan, when you said good food, I'm, I'm assuming you meant nutritious food. Uh, now, by the way, there are some things that I read some years ago, and I, I love mushrooms. I like fried mushrooms. Well, if you if you ever had morels, oh man, I mean, God knew what He was doing. He made them. Okay. But I found out that if that's all you ate, you would starve to death because there's absolutely no nutritional value in mushrooms. Now, I can't validate that what I read was true, but I did read that. But it has to be nutritious food, and we do need water. Now, what's interesting, so my next question is, what do Christians need in order to grow? Say it again, yeah. That's nutrition we get from God's Word. So that's going to be part of our study today, how we should desire to grow, uh, desire God's Word, that we can grow healthy spiritual lives. Now again, Peter is writing to Christians who have been dispersed uh, because of persecution. They're going through difficult times. And, you know, I had to remind myself this week as I studied this lesson, because now it doesn't mean that God's Word is not applicable today, but isn't it true that where we live, we we suffer relatively little persecution. 
And we know that's true. But not so then. They were going through very difficult times because of their faith. So Peter says, I want to encourage you. That's why he writes this letter. That they would live out their faith by living their lives the way people of God should do that. And one of the ways that we're to do that, and they were to do it, was to pursue holiness. And by the way, when should we do that? All the time, indeed, no matter what our circumstances are. So Peter says to them, he encourages them to grow through the Scriptures, to serve God like a holy priesthood, and to live honorably among unbelievers. So our first key truth uh, is that we as believers should grow spiritually through a healthy diet of God's Word. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Somebody read the first three verses, please. Uh, thank you, Dan. Now, again, notice that first word in verse 1. What is that first word? Wherefore. Now, it's important because we have to understand Peter is trying to encourage them to grow spiritually. And he says, wherefore. Now, again, that refers to what he's already written. And he actually referring back to First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23, because they've been born again through the eternal word of God. And because that is true, Peter says there are some things that need to be happening in your life. So Peter says, look, now that you've been born again through the eternal word of God, there's some things that you need to lay aside. You need to get rid of these things in your life. So my question would be, why would Peter say that? I mean, he's writing to Christians, right? Why would he say that? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. And let's don't kid ourselves. If we don't watch it, these can become a part of our lives. Because before we're saved, they probably were a part of our life. So Peter says, there's some things in your life you need to stop and win. Now. Now would be a good time to start, right? Stop it right now. Now, again, he's talking about things they were accustomed to doing. And one thing I, I, I just makes my skin crawl when I hear Christians say, well, that's just the way I am. I got a word for that, hogwash. Maybe the way you are, but God came to change our lives. We've been born again by the eternal word of God. And Peter realizes if we allow these things to go on in our life, and by the way, in our text this morning, he only lists five. Doesn't mean it's to be exhausted, but these are things that are important that we have to get rid of in our lives. But Peter realized if we don't get rid of these things, it will be harmful to our spiritual growth. And I find it kind of interesting the five things that Peter lists, and there are others that he could have listed. They would, if we allow them to be a part of our lives, they will drive a wedge in our fellowship with other believers. 
So Peter says, you got to lay those things aside. And I said earlier in our text, he mentions five of them. Uh, what's the first one he mentions there in verse 1? Lay aside all what? Malice. What is malice? Christians wouldn't have that, would they? Yeah, they do. We have to guard it. So we, we got to lay that aside. And, and, and normally, and Dan, you're right, it usually means having an ill will toward others. Now, keep this in mind. Peter's talking to Christians here, and he said, be careful, because if you let Satan control your life or hinder you, he will cause you to have ill will, even toward brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he lists the first one he says is malice, and there's no necessary order here. But what was the second one he talks about there in verse 1? Okay, what is that? Anybody know? Hmm, can you imagine that? And and is that should that be a part of our lives? No. Peter says, truth needs to be, but not guile. Simply don't let that be a part of our life. And 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 really, uh someone said guile is is really deliberate dishonesty. And Peter said, Don't let that be a part of your life. So we got malice, we've got guile. What's the third one we got there? What is that? Amen. Remember the old uh, movies? I'm talking about old. Uh, Rick stepped out about almost as old as he is. Uh, when they only had black and white. But at the beginning of the, of the program, before they began the program, they would show a, uh, like a stage area with curtains. And on each side they'd have a mask. Remember that mask? That's where the idea comes from. Being, pretending to be somebody you are not. A hypocrite. Hypocrisy, not being genuine. So we've got malice, we've got guile, hypocrisy. But then what's that, what's that fourth one? Envies. Now it's interesting. It's plural in the King James, but it's also plural in the Greek. What's it mean to envy somebody? How bad? Pretty bad, right? It begins to affect you, right? It begins to, uh, it begins, I think, with jealousy, and it, it becomes bitter. It becomes, uh, it becomes a, uh, may I say, an extreme strong desire uh, in your life. Uh, wow, uh, it's just not good. Now, by the way, I hope you realize. While that should not happen in church, sometimes it does. And Paul says, I'll talk Paul. Peter says, lay that aside. Okay, so we've got malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, envies, and then what's the fourth one? Evil speaking. What in the world is evil speaking? Amen. And usually when you do that, what's your goal? Lift yourself up and do what to them? Drag them down. Now, I don't know if this is a true story, and I read it years ago, about a shipmate uh, who had a problem with drinking, and, uh, you know, he had a pretty important job under the captain, and, and one day the captain reported. And uh, he said, you know, wrote to his superior and said, well, he named him, said he was drunk today. 
And it was true. And, well, the shipmate wrote to his superior and said, Captain Jojo, whoever his name was, he was sober today. What do you think he was trying to do? Implying what? Most days he wasn't. He was trying to lift himself up and put him down. That's evil speaking. Evil speaking. Now, again, uh, if Peter was to give an exhaustive list, his letter had been quite longer than it is. But these are some samples that Peter said we need to put those things aside. So here we are. Now, keep in mind, he's writing to relatively new Christians. He says, lay aside these things. Now, again, I think Peter knows human nature. He was a sinner at one time. And he realized that when he became a child of God, he had to put those things aside. Now, But once you put them things aside, Peter says, there's something you need to desire. And what is that? The sincere milk of God's word. And Peter says that we can grow from that. Now, when we think of the milk of God's word, uh, I think it's hard not to imagine a newborn baby. Uh, in, in normal cases, do you have to teach a newborn baby to want milk, to want food? No. In fact, that's what they want. They desire that. They they have a, a deep longing for that. And, and, and Peter says, just like a newborn baby, as a child of God, as a new believer, Peter says, you need to have that desire for the sincere milk of God's word. Now, by the way, Peter's also challenging them, you need to cultivate that desire. Make it a vital part of your life. Now, think about this. When it comes to giving a newborn baby food, nutrition, is that really optional? No. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? They won't survive. And so Peter says, look, we have to realize, if, if, you know, when we talk about God's Word, feeding on God's Word, it's not an option. If you are going to grow spiritually, you've got to have God's Word. Now, unless you've been walking around with your head in the sand, uh, you've probably heard of the Asbury Revival. And uh, now I'm not here to refute it or whatever. Cheryl, what are you doing back in the corner? Not where you. They'll think you're in trouble if you come and see you sitting back here. But thank you for coming, Cheryl. Good to see you. Anyway, um, I heard one pastor ask a question. What would it be without the music? Now, don't misunderstand. I enjoy good gospel singing. I love to sing the old hymns that, that have... Uh, the meat in them. I don't really care much for the 7-Eleven songs, you know. Uh, seven words, repeat them 11 times. Uh, but I like the deep, deep uh, biblical hymns of the Scripture. And there's, and there's some good new ones as well. I'm not saying there's not. There are. But here's the thing. Peter said, if you're going to grow, you're going to have what? 
the Word of God. You've got to feast regularly on the Word of God. And Peter said, there's one thing I want you to understand. This is my heart. I want you to experience spiritual growth. And if you're going to do that, you have to feast on God's Word. But Peter realizes, before you can do that, you've got to get rid and lay aside all your simple attitudes and actions. And then feast on the Word of God. That's interesting in verse 3. Peter quotes from the 34th Psalm, verse 8. And he continues to uh, refer to the illustration of milk uh, that he used earlier. And he says, look, I know you've tasted the goodness of God. Now, again, uh, in the English, it's a little, little bit iffy there, but not in the Greek. Peter knows if you are born again, Peter says, you have tasted how good God is. You've tasted that. And so Peter says the craving that you'll develop for the Word of God is based on the fact that you've already discovered that the spiritual nourishment found in Christ is very, very spiritually satisfying. You've tasted and you have seen the Lord is good. So desire that sincere milk of the word that you will continue to grow with that word taking in as nutrition. Let's apply it. Set aside sin and learn and apply God's word every day. So let's do a question here real quick. Let's, let's talk about some practical steps that we can, we can take, believers can take, to set aside sin. What are some of the things we can do? Well, first of all, if we sin, we need to do what? Confess. Right. Confess it to God. I used to listen to Woodrow Crowell when he was on Back to the Bible. And if I heard him say it once, I heard him say it a hundred times. Uh, keep short accounts with God. And he was referring to this. Confess your sins. Come clean before God. What else do we need to do? Spend time in God's Word, right? Allow the Spirit of God to control our lives. Question number two. Why do we need regular Bible intake to grow spiritually? Why do we need it? Amen, yeah. It's just like... Exactly. Now, by the way, did um, anybody eat yesterday? Okay, anybody going to eat today? I'm planning on it, right? But we, why do we do that? We ha- now again, you know, we're blessed. We got more than we need to eat. You can tell. Look at me. I don't miss many meals. But the fact of the matter is, we, you know, if we're going to grow physically, the same is true spiritually. We got to continually eat from the Word of God. So, key truth number one: we're to grow spiritually through a, a healthy diet of God's Word. Second of all, we are God's holy people. Don't forget that. Who worship and serve Him. Need a volunteer. Read verses uh, 4 through 10, 1 Peter chapter 2, please.
Thank you, brother. Now, Peter had just spoken about desiring the sincere milk of the word. For those who have tasted that the Lord is good, talking about Jesus Christ. So in verse 4, Peter, that's who you're coming to. You're coming to him as a living stone. So in verse 4, he changes the metaphor from milk to the temple of God, but specifically the church. So he talks about a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So who is a living stone? Jesus Christ. Now remember, he came to his own, his own world, John says, chapter 1 of first of St. John, and his own, meaning his own people, the Jews, rejected him. And so they were the builders. And God sent the cornerstone, and what did the Jews do? Say it again, Wayne. They rejected him. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we know that Peter's referring to the cornerstone, and again, for the Jew, they would picture, of course, the temple. But Peter takes that and applies it to the church. So my question is, how important is the cornerstone? Why do you say that, Dan? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, even when we think about the cornerstone, it would be the first stone place. And, of course, it was, it was forward to hold the weight up, but everything else lined off of that stone. I've lost track of how many room additions we have done through the year, my dad and I, when we were in business together. But some years ago, we, we did one just down the road here, not too far, and uh, I went over there, and I... We always, you know, we always shoot the corner. We drive a nail in each corner. Uh, so the bricklayer, the mason knows where to set the cornerstone. And then we snap a line. I uh, usually use red chalk. It's indelible and it, you know, it'll stay. And, uh, and so anyway, the block layer had gone there that day. I wasn't there that day. And the home, homeowner called me that evening. He said, Hey, is, is this, uh, room addition supposed to be on an angle? I said, No, it's not supposed to be on an angle. Uh, so I went over there, and, and you know, we had laid out the where the cornerstone went, where the corner block, and you, whenever you do a building, you lay the corners up first. 
and then you shrink from corner to corner, and that's what lines up the other wall. Well, our, our, I don't know why he did. He was a, normally a good bricklayer. And on one side, he put the block on the left side of the line. On the other, he put it on the right side of the line. How many know that didn't work? So everything is supposed to line up with a cornerstone. So Peter said, we're coming to a living stone. The one the Jews had said, it's not good enough. <laughs> but what did God say about that stone? It's precious. It is precious. I was reading earlier this morning in the Life Advocation Bible on this particular passage, and one thing they pointed out, um, the use of, of uh, uh, my mind went blank. Well, it talks about when he talked about God's Son is singular. Uh, we talk about the cornerstone is singular. But when it comes to sons of God, it's what? It's plural. When it comes to living stones, it's plural, okay? So, again, Christ is the living stone, but in verse 5, we are lively stones, and we're being built up into a spiritual house. In fact, he says, a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, again, notice how Peter's building here, and pardon the pun, but as he's trying to get across a good theological lesson here. Christ is that cornerstone. But please understand, he's building the church. And is Peter talking about these brick here, these walls? No, what's he talking about? People, you and I, we are spiritual stones. We are living stones, if you will, to build a spiritual house. The very church of God. And so, not only are we living stones, we are a holy priesthood. Now, by the way, in, in, in Jewish economy, you had the high priest, but you also had a lot of other priests. In fact, I think there were about 24 orders of priests, and they would take turns serving the tabernacle. And so Peter said, we've got a cornerstone, that's Jesus Christ, but we are living stones, we are a royal priesthood, so we're there to serve in the church. That's why God has placed us there. And Cheryl? It may be part of it. But probably more, more of it goes back to Matthew chapter 16, where uh, Jesus said, on, your, on, this, on you, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. But yeah, that, that's probably part of it, okay? But understand, Cheryl, I want to ask you a question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Why would Peter not make a good cornerstone? Amen, that's right. He is, He couldn't be. And Peter never claimed to be, okay? But he could not be. Now, I, now again, I don't want to get in debate with other people, but I think what Jesus was talking about on Peter's testimony, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, uh, and, and again, uh, Cheryl, that, that's a good question, because I don't think there's any doubt here in Peter's letter uh, that, that Peter's not talking about himself here. 
This, this chief cornerstone is Christ. He's the one. Okay? Good question, Cheryl. Any other question before we go on here? So he, he, you know, Peter, again, he quotes from the Old Testament. And now, by the way, <clears throat> I look at this and I, I have to understand as I look at this. Evidently, there were a lot of Jews who had been dispersed because they placed their faith in Christ. Because what would the Old Testament mean to the Gentile? Nothing. You know, wouldn't be no point. Now, again, it doesn't mean it's not important. But the, the Jews would certainly understand, hey, I, Peter, I know what you're talking about. I remember reading that or whatever. And so that's why he quotes from the Old Testament, where, where God had prophesied he would lay a cornerstone in Zion. Now, remember, <laughs> men said, uh-uh, not good enough. God said, what? It's precious. It is the right one. So, again, Peter is referring to, uh, from verse 6 through 8, uh, three separate Old Testament passages. Uh, one is Isaiah 28, 16, where the Messiah, not Peter now, is presented as a cornerstone on which the building uh, relies on stability and the proper alignment. And again... Uh, Using that analogy, Peter says the believers, uh, we trust in Christ and we rely upon him. He's the one who gives stability. He's one who, who gives us a proper alignment as we walk with God. And the good news is those who put their trust in Christ will never be put to shame. They won't be humiliated. They won't be confounded. They're simply putting their faith in Christ. In Christ. And then in verse 7, he talks about uh, those who believe are going to find honor in Christ because he now becomes precious to us. He's always been precious to God. But once we trust Christ as our Savior, he now becomes precious to us. Thank God for that. And, of course, the Spirit of God makes it come alive in our heart. The problem is Psalm 118, verse 22 also prophesied about those who would reject him. In fact, the psalmist said they would stumble over him. And because of that, they would have to suffer eternal consequences. Now, don't miss that. There is a penalty to pay for rejecting the cornerstone. But I like verse 9. But you... Those who reject him, those who stumble, are appointed to judgment. Now, that doesn't mean God shows them ahead of time to do that. No, it means once you make that choice, there's only one place to go. That's eternal damnation. You've got what's appointed for that choice. But verse 9 says, but. We don't have, because we are believers. Our destination is completely different. Now, again, Peter is using Old Testament scriptures, and he applies the language that was used for the Jews, and he takes it, and now he applies it to the church. The first verse he refers in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, and in that passage, God had promised the Jews, if you'll obey me, you will be my special treasure. And now Peter takes that and applies it to the church. We are now God's 
special treasure. And Peter also refers to Isaiah uh, chapter 43, verses 20 and 21. And in Isaiah, God had promised that one day he would refresh uh, his chosen people. And there would be a day, a day when they will honor him before the whole world. And Peter takes that prophecy and he applies it to the church. Now notice the four phrases that Peter uses to describe uh, believers. The first one is, he says we are a chosen generation. What does that mean? Chosen by who? Chosen by God, absolutely. God has chosen and granted us his privilege because we are good? No, because he is. And it's only by God's own initiative. Nothing good we have done. So Peter says you're a chosen generation. The next thing he says about the church, we are a royal priesthood. Think about that. We are a royal priesthood. Now hold on. Did the Jews have a priesthood? Yes. So Peter compares the church to that. You know, we are reigning with Christ. We're part of his royal family. So a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. But then he goes on and says, we are a holy nation. Now stop for a moment. Think about this. How did God see the Jews in the Old Testament? Were they a chosen people? Yes. Were they, were they to be a holy nation? Yes. But now Peter takes those same things and he applies them to the church. Folks, do you realize that you and I as Christians, we have a distinct privilege of being a people that now belong to God. Amen. What a privilege that is. And then he describes us, the King James says, a peculiar people. But it literally in the Greek it means a people for his own possession. You know what God says about you and I? Yeah, they're mine. They are mine. They're the apple of my eye. They are my chosen people. Now let me warn you, okay? Put your thinking cap on for a moment. I know it's early and we lost an hour of sleep last night. Poor old Rick, he probably didn't go back to sleep when he woke up at 2 o'clock, turned the clock back. I don't know for sure about that. But at any rate... Think about this. The Jews were a chosen generation. They were to be a royal priesthood. Uh, all these things that Peter says we are. But would you agree the Jews allowed us to go to their head? In what way? Oh, yeah, we're somebody. Look who we are. I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah currently and and Jeremiah prophesied that there's a boiling pot from the north got about ready to boil over, speaking, of course, the Babylonians. And the Jews said, uh-uh, can't, can't touch us. I mean, we got, we're the holy city. We got the tabernacle, the temple, if you will. We got the ark of the covenant, blah, 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 blah. We're somebody. So I want you to understand, yes, God has given us that privilege, but folks, let's don't let it go to our head. We have nothing to brag about. Why? 
Amen. We didn't, well, we didn't do anything to earn it for sure. Whatever we did wasn't good, right? Amen. But yeah, we don't deserve this. So, you know, God, you know, don't be bragging about, don't, don't gloat over this. Because the Bible says that the reason God has done that for us is that we would proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of that realm of darkness. Thank God for that. Amen. No reason to gloat. But i tell you one thing, I've got every reason to be thankful. God has done for me what I could never do for myself. Then in verse 10, oh, I gotta, you gotta love this. Peter reminds us and his readers, we are God's people now. Amen. Now. And the great news is, thank you, Lord, you're not ashamed to call me your child. God's not ashamed to be our God. Probably been a while maybe since you read the book of Hosea. Tremendous book. Uh, God used a strange way to illustrate the nation of Israel. Uh, Hosea married a prostitute. She left him. But anyway, some children were born and God gave them names. And one name meant no longer my people. Another meant now my people. Now, again, it's been a long time since so I've studied through that, but that's what it meant. Uh, but in Hosea chapter 2, God said this, I will have mercy on whoever I want. I'll have mercy on those who have never obtained mercy. I will say to a people that's not been my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And Peter alludes to that verse. He applies that verse to the church. Now, Wayne, you said it already. What do we deserve to get this? Nothing. So it's all by grace. It is all by grace. Once we were not a people. Now we are. Once we did not receive mercy... And now we do. And I can't, I'll never get over this. As rebellious as we were against God, God, through His infinite mercy and grace, has chosen to bring us back to Himself. He has chosen to reconcile us back to Himself. And only because we have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, we are now God's people. What a privilege. What an honor. And oh, how humbling it is when we realize we don't deserve it. Let's apply it. Because we're God's children, we need to worship God. And proclaim his greatness. So what does it mean? That as believers, you and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. What does that mean? 
We're different from the world. Why? We're not of the world. Well, let me kind of back up here a little bit and help us get maybe a little more. Uh, we know that in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's special people. Why was that? Because they were smarter than anybody else? Say it again. They chose them. You know why we're that whole generation? God's chosen us. God has chosen us. What a God. Number one, we're to grow spiritually through a healthy diet of God's Word. Number two, we are God's holy people, so we're to worship and to serve Him. Number three, if you are a believer, we're to conduct ourselves honorably among unbelievers. Anybody want to read verse 11 through 17? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation, that means your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. Now, if you ever want the will of God, here's one of it. That with well-doing... He may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. But as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Why in the world would Peter care about how we live in this world? Say it again. Amen. To honor God. Now remember, living this way, does it earn our salvation? No, that's by grace. But Peter said, once you're saved, you live a life that honors God. Now again, let's put our minds for Peter who's writing to those who are in exile, uh, you know, by the way, once you become a child of God, you're in exile. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world. We'll be preaching about that this morning. But these folks, if you will, were also driven from their homeland. And so they were believers living in exile. And, and so, you know, Peter says, look, I know you're a stranger. I, I know you're just traveling through. But you've got to conduct your lifestyle as though you are not at home in this world. Good advice. Great advice, I might add. And so, Peter said there's sort of a, a, there's there's something you need to not do. Well, you need to abstain from the passions of your flesh. The hedonistic desire that's with all of us. Peter said abstain from those things. But the reason is because those kind of wrong desires will always war against our soul. 
The battle will continue to rage. We have to abstain from those things. And that simply means hold yourself back from those passions of the flesh and simple desires. And we could give a list of many of them, okay? But then Peter says, let me give you the positive side. Not only are some things you're not to do, you're to hold back from, there's a list of things you are to do in this broken world. Now I need to ask a question. How important is reputation? How important is it? It's very important. I'll never forget many years ago, uh, Jason had a friend in school, and his dad pastored a church down in Norwood, Ohio. And uh, something happened. I don't know what it was. Uh, but we had to cancel our church, so we went down to visit with uh, that church. And uh, and I never forget what the pastor said. He introduced me to the congregation. I didn't preach that morning. And he said, one thing I want you to know, this brother has a good reputation in his community. And it didn't dawn on me until he said that. That's important. It's important to have that kind of reputation among even unbelievers. Now, Peter understood it, how important it was. And he says, you know what? I think what he's saying to us, let me kind of, well, I shouldn't put thoughts in, uh, words in his mouth, but wouldn't you agree that our reputation is probably more important than the words we say? Why is that? Amen. Yes, indeed. Yes. It, it validates what we say. And boy, you know, a lot of people, they ought to keep quiet because their reputation doesn't back up of some of the things they, they claim to be even among uh, unbelievers. And, and Peter says, look, uh, your reputation is a vital part of your testimony. People watch how you live. They watch you, how you act and react in life situations. <clears throat> and Peter says, do that so the lost world would notice that and they take note of that in the day of visitation. Now, I did a little research on that. Scholars are divided on what does that mean. Uh, one commentary said it can't mean the judgment day because in the Greek there's no definite, definite article pointing to a certain day, but still it could be. But the bottom line is, Peter says, there'll come a time where unbelievers say, you know what? They were right. They were right, after all. And when that day comes, only God knows about that. So he said, you know what? We're to live in strangers. And he said, let me give you a practical way to do that. Every time the, gov the governor says, do something, Peter says, rebel. No, he didn't say it. Now, again, let's put it in, in perspective here. For the most part, now I know our government's gone way off track, but we still live, in my opinion, the best country of the world. But in Peter's day, the government was not uh, nice to Christians especially. So Peter says, let me give you a practical way to live this out. Peter says, put yourself in submission to governing authorities. Now remember, who put them there? 
God did. God did. <laughs> so, again, in Peter's day, the government authorities were mostly hostile toward believers. But Peter said, that doesn't matter. You are to submit to them. And you're to, the idea is to line yourself under, if you will. Now, you know, naturally, we don't like that word submission, do we? You know, somebody tells you to submit right away that, you know, you start to bristle. Isn't that true? <laughs> you talking about me? But isn't it true the Bible has a lot to say about submission? We're to submit to Christ. There's submission in the family. Uh, it goes on, on and on. Uh, we're to, you know, Paul said in Romans, submit to government authority. Uh, P, or sorry, Hebrews said we're to submit to leadership in the church. Uh, Paul said in marriage in Colossians. Uh, but also, uh, Paul said in Ephesians 5, as Christians, we're to submit one to another. But in verse 17, uh, Peter kind of gives a, a, a four-part summary of how our Christian citizenship ought to be. Number one, Peter says, we're to honor everyone. What does everyone mean? Everyone. And and the only way we can do that is by the power of God. But we need to remember everyone is created in the image of God. The second thing Peter says, we're to love one another. Amen. We're to love one another. And especially members of God's family. That ought to be a trait that identifies our life. John said, you know you love me by our love for the brethren, right? The love for the brethren. The third thing we're to do is to fear the Lord. And that fear is that kind of fear that impacts our obedience. So we're to honor everyone, love one another. Third thing, Peter said, fear the Lord. And the fourth thing, Peter says, honor governing authorities. Now, earlier we talked about being living stones, uh, build up a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. And uh, this morning I had to ask myself, well, what are what in the world are spiritual sacrifices? Peter gives us four of them right here. Honoring everyone, it's a spiritual sacrifice. Honoring everyone is to, or to love one another is a spiritual sacrifice. Fearing the Lord is a spiritual sacrifice. Honoring government authorities is a spiritual sacrifice. <laughs> and I'm reminded again, whenever you have a question about God's Word, if you wait long enough, God's Word will tell you, right? And so here we just have an example of four ways that are spiritual sacrifices before God. That's it? Huh? Did you ring a bell? I didn't ask you, Rick. Let's all stand. Next, thank you for coming today. Next week, First Peter chapter 4, all right? Father, thank you for your word. We love you so much. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each.